It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles. An audio adventure. Chapter 3. Callan. McCallan. Mistaken identity. Callan. Shit! McCallan awoke with a start. She didn't remember what time she had finally dragged herself to bed. But right now, all she could think about was that she had found a hidden staircase underneath that bed. She rubbed her eyes and scooted to the foot of the bed to manipulate the right bedpost. She could tell it was loose, but feared manipulating it too much in case the mattress started elevating upwards with her on it. How long has this been here? I wonder who else knows. Nana has to know, doesn't she? I can't remember who she bought the apartment from. I was so young. Sedgwick? He never betrays any emotions. It's too hard to tell. I wonder what he's seen. Does Nana know? But more importantly, what is the sphere? what is Leviathan? It must have meaning. Hello? Please tell me that you're just walking onto campus. Oh my god, what time is it? Um, 8.10? About 20 minutes before the comparative cellular radiology class that we were going to teach together. Jesus, I'm totally on my way. I'm not going to believe what happened, what I found. It's incredible. I was walking... What? Provost Reiner will be auditing class today. Shit, really? Really. Damn it, why? For some odd reason, he feels we've been shirking our responsibility to the rest of the campus community in pursuit of, and I quote, reckless experimentation and selfish utilization of campus resources. The guy has an axe hanging over our heads, McAllen. No. This is all about the university supercomputer. He found out that we bumped the molecular geometry sim that was scheduled the night before last. I made that look like a scheduling glitch in the calendar manifold. Yeah, well, Reiner is smarter than we're giving him credit for. He's smart enough to know that you're not going to show up on time to teach your class. Seriously, how close are you? I'm still at my grandmother's, but I'm walking out the door right now, I swear. You're totally lying to me, aren't you? McAllen pulled her hair into a quick ponytail and threw on the jeans she had on last night and an Oxford shirt she found in the dresser drawers. Good old Sedgwick. She ran out of the guest room and towards the front door. Bye, Sedge. Bye, Nana. I'll be back, but I'm super late for class. McAllen didn't wait for a response. Now, gotta get a cab. McAllen's luck took a huge change for the better. She saw someone getting out of a cab right at the entrance to Nana's Fifth Avenue apartment building. Rockefeller University, please. 64th in York. I'm in a huge hurry. McAllen spoke her address and proceeded to get the best series of green lights she had ever encountered in over three decades of living in New York City. By 8.23 a.m., McAllen had arrived a block away from the campus entrance, in front of her favorite Starbucks. I know I'm living dangerously, but I think seven minutes till class gives me enough time for my caffeine fix. Welcome to Starbucks. What can I get you? Quad skim grande latte with extra foam. One quad skim grande latte with extra foam coming right up. That'll be four seventy-five. Great. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Is your name McAllen Orsel? Uh, yeah. This is gonna seem kind of crazy, but 
Can I speak to you for a moment? Actually, I'm in a huge rush. I'm supposed to be teaching a class in about five minutes. It's about your grandmother. Nana? Your grandmother is Amelia Orsel, right? Yes. It's my understanding that she's fallen ill recently. That's actually none of your business. No, How- please. I-, I just want to help. If you'll just hear me out for a moment. I'll give you a quick moment. Great. Thank you. L- let's sit down. The gentleman grabbed his and McAllen's coffee and led her to a pair of tattered fabric overchairs separated by a small table. He set the coffees down and stared at McAllen intently. Okay. Who are you? My name is Alex Gordon. I'm a psychiatrist. I specialize in schizophrenia and multiple personality disorders. Your grandmother came to see me several months ago regarding some difficulties she was having. I'm kept fully informed of all the medical issues in my Nana's life. She's never mentioned any visits to your office or reported any psychological conditions that would warrant therapy. Well, of course. You know your grandmother better than anyone. Unfortunately, mental illness is still considered a taboo subject in most circles, particularly the ones your grandmother travels in. Some people still ignorantly believe that there's some stigma associated with asking for help. I don't think Amelia Orsel would admit to anyone that she needed help, especially when it is her mind which she considers her most treasured asset. And you must also know how deeply she loves you and would rather suffer than show any weakness to you, her favorite and only granddaughter. She always wants to be the strong one for you, McAllen. She made it very clear in her conversations that you are her pride and joy. She therefore asked me to treat her sessions and the nature of her ailments with the utmost confidence. Which you are clearly violating by talking to me. That's quite true, but I do have an obligation to break such a confidence when I fear my patient is a danger to themselves or others. I hardly believe my 65-year-old grandmother has been elevated to public enemy number one. Well, I'll be honest, McAllen, that's not entirely clear to me. What are you talking about? You know what? You're crazy. And I'm leaving. Is she still hearing the voices, McAllen? What? The voices. Do they still torment her? How long has this been going on? Like I said, she came to see me several months ago. As you can imagine, it took her a while to open up to me. I'm afraid I haven't seen very much of her recently. That's what has me so concerned. These symptoms you're describing, these are conditions that are symptomatic of old age. I don't think her condition has been brought about by old age. What do you mean? I believe her condition is the result of an attack. What? Nana has no signs of physical trauma, no bruises, no lacerations. I didn't say it was a physical attack. Then I'm not sure I understand. This isn't easy to explain, and I know this sounds hard to believe, but I believe your grandmother was exposed to a very unique form of radiation. A couple of years ago, a powerful pulse of radiation was released. Something we've never seen before. Instead of dissipating, we think it might be reflecting off the Earth's ionosphere and bouncing back into our atmosphere, causing these conditions in certain people. That doesn't make any sense. Radiation can move at the speed of light. Why hasn't it affected half the world at this point? That's a very good question, and the short answer is we're not sure. But I have a theory. I think the radiation only affects individuals that are genetically predisposed to receiving the signal. You know, like dogs hearing high-pitched sounds that humans can't. I think this pulse that was released somehow activated this dormant gene that exists in certain people. I think that's what causes these psychological disorders. Do you have any sort of empirical evidence to support this? Not as much as I'd like, but I've witnessed this sort of affliction in several cases now. Usually it's standard procedure in our office to run a blood test before prescribing any sort of medication for dementia, hallucinations, you know, that sort of thing. You know, to ensure against any allergic reactions. In several cases we found something very unusual. Allergic reactions that were new to the patient? No. No, the opposite. We found no allergic reactions of any kind to any drug of any type. 
See, most people don't have allergic reactions to too many things, but if you throw enough drugs at your blood, it's going to be allergic to something. Case in point, one of the experimental drugs that my clinic has been approved to study is called Iaxor. It's a derivative of an Amazonian vine and leaf extract. It's wonderful stuff, cures depression, dementia, ADD, substance dependencies. But here's the problem. Aaxor is an intense drug with violent side effects that causes extreme vomiting and dysentery within hours of its ingestion. Only 2% of the general population enjoys a genetic profile that can tolerate and neutralize the drug's side effects. Doesn't exactly sound like you've got yourself a miracle drug. No, it isn't, but here's what's startling. I've diagnosed well over 30 patients that have the same symptoms as Amelia Orsil, your grandmother. And of those 30, we've tested their blood for compatibility with Aaxor. 28 of them showed compatibility or minimal side effects with the drug. In addition, we ran every other drug past their blood samples and we couldn't instigate any type of allergic reaction whatsoever. We thought the testing software might be bugged or broken, so we ran tests of every other psychiatric drug on the blood samples. We even introduced mild toxic extracts from snake venoms that we use for OCD. We got nothing. It was as if the platelets in their blood were supercharged and impenetrable to viral infection. But I know for a fact that Nana is allergic to penicillin. What did her blood work show? Well, that's the reason I'm here, McAllen. We never got her blood work. As I said before, your grandmother had been seeing me for several months for psychotherapy. However, over the last few weeks as we made this discovery, she stopped coming to my office. I've wanted to get her blood sample for over two weeks now, but I can't seem to reach her by phone or email. Please, McAllen, I'm just trying to help her. I think she could be very sick. Her symptoms have worsened over the past week. She's been bedridden and isn't really fully conscious during most of the day. She murmurs and whispers and says certain words or phrases repeatedly for hours like a litany of some sort. What words? I don't want to get into it. McAllen, I know this is very hard and, and I do appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. But what you're telling me about your grandmother is very disturbing. Why? Well, to finish the story... When we discovered this phenomenon with our patient's blood type, we also noticed an inverse relationship with their grasp on reality. The stronger their blood got, the more their mind started to deteriorate. Sometimes the process accelerated so quickly, we weren't able to stop it in time. Stop what? The suicides. We lost well over half the patients. That's why it's so urgent that I get to your grandmother. With your permission, I'd like to visit her now and get her blood sample. We may have a treatment that's possible for her, but we have to act quickly, McAllen. So, what you're telling me is that you think you've identified a group of deranged people that hear voices and think they're talking to angels that also have invincible blood that's been intentionally mutated by a mysterious pulse of radiation, and yet despite their superior modified bodies, these superheroes decide to go and off themselves. I know it sounds crazy, Yeah, yeah, you know what? It does. And you know what else? I think you're crazy. McAllen! It's about Leviathan. What did you say? It means something to you, doesn't it? What is Leviathan? All right, I'll tell you what I know, McAllen, but... But not here. It's not secure. Come on, my car is parked around the corner. We need to visit your grandmother. McAllen hesitated for a moment. McAllen, you just have to trust me. This is for Amelia. McAllen and the doctor entered his Ford Taurus that was parked on the street. The doctor made a right on Park Avenue and ran several yellow and red lights and came to a stop on 72nd Street. 
McAllen noticed the doors in the car lock as they waited for the light to change. You said you'd tell me about Leviathan. What is it? And what does it have to do with my grandmother? I'll tell you as much as I know. I, I believe this radiation pulse may have originated with Leviathan. I don't get it. Is it some sort of corporation? No, it's not that at all. It's more like... It's more like a very unusual, very dangerous group of individuals. Almost like... As the tourists crossed 79th Street, a black Range Rover barreled across the red light at high speed, smashing into the driver's side of the car. The Rover continued to push the tourists down the intersection until it was pinned against a traffic light on McAllen's side. The sudden stop caused McAllen's head to smash against the side window, opening a two-inch gash on her forehead. All of the airbags deployed, and for a split second, McAllen had thought she saw the doctor's nose explode in a violent gush of red. She struggled to remain conscious as she felt every bone in her body shift. Out of the corner of her eye, she thought she saw a silver BMW hop the curb closest to her. Two large men seemed to be rushing towards her. One stood in the middle of the intersection, while the other ripped McAllen's door open. McAllen, are you alright? McAllen! Quickly, we have to get you out of here. McAllen, can you hear me? We have to get you out of the car. Do you have her? Is she alright? I've got her. She's, she's breathing, but we've got to get out of here. No police yet. I'm showing that an ambulance has been called. The scanner indicates we have another 30 seconds. We've got to get out of here. Let's move! The largest of the two men carried McAllen into the back of the silver M5 BMW, buckled her in and sat beside her. As McAllen's head started to clear, she heard tires squealing as her head was painfully thrown back against the rear headrest. You are right, McAllen. Can you hear me? Uh... I think I am. My head hurts, though. My neck, too. Are we going to the hospital? I'm afraid not, but you will receive the medical attention you need. Who are you? Pull over! We're friends, McCall. My name is Adele, and this is Anton. Hello. Why aren't you taking me to the hospital? Why am we I here? We need to check her blood to see if she was compromised. Who are you people? McCullen, you need to focus. This is very important. Did you drink anything? Why? Did the person you were with give you anything to drink? No, I don't think so. Did you drink anything at all? We were having coffee at Starbucks. Who served your coffee? I don't know. You have to think, McCullen. They just gave it to me. I can't remember. It's really hard to think. Who are you? Where are you taking me? I'm sorry, McCullen, but we can't take chances with your safety. You're too important. Othello reached into the seat back and produced a small syringe. No, 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 you can't, no! Right, oh. She's passed out, Anton. I've got her blood sample. You need to hurry. You have to get her to Sutton Manor quickly. Drive as fast as you can. I'm on it. As McCallum regained consciousness, she saw her car turn on 58th Street and drive east, all the way to a cul-de-sac overlooking the East River. On her right side, she saw a row of exquisite townhouses. She counted at least seven of them from the river to York Avenue. The townhouses continued around the corner of York Avenue and lined another block before wrapping around 57th Street, making at least 14 in total, forming a giant sea. The open part of the sea faced directly out onto the East River. BMW approached a Tudor-style townhouse toward the end of 58th Street and drove into its small garage. 
she was still very woozy from the impact of the car accident. Once inside the garage, McCallum was surprised to see it was larger than she would have thought. Othello got out of the back seat and walked around to open McCallum's door and unbuckle her. She gripped the handle tightly in fear. It's all right. McCallum, I promise I won't hurt you. You'll be very safe here. Safe from what? We should get her checked out before she meets him. Before I meet who? Before we meet Sensual. He lives here, McCallum. Othello guided her through a shiny silver door into a long marble hallway where they met a slim Asian woman wearing a white tunic. She spoke gently to McCallan. Hello, McCallan. My name is Okuro. I am the Dom of Sutton Manor. I'm here to make sure you're all right and to take you to see Senshun, the master of Sutton Manor. He's been waiting to see you. This way, McCallan. Wait. Just wait a second. I've just been in a car crash with a stranger after which someone kidnapped me, takes my blood against my will, and now you, the Grand Dame, are taking me to see the plantation manager? Do you really just expect me to come along quietly? Please, McAllen. I know a lot has happened just now, but we are here to protect you. I promise the answers will arrive soon, but you must come with me first. Everything will make sense soon, but you must trust me now. Please. Why should I trust you? Tell me where we're going first. Just to a room where we can make sure you're okay. Fine. Lead on. But if anyone approaches me with a needle, I'm knocking them out and heading towards the nearest door. I understand. Please come this way. The two women walked down the long central hallway for almost half a minute. This struck McCallan as odd, because the townhouse seemed only 30 feet wide at most. It seemed as though they had walked over 70 feet. Two-thirds of the way down the central marble hallway, Ikoro opened a beautiful fabric-covered door on her left. The two of them entered, and McCallan saw what seemed to be an examining table, with a plate of medical instruments beside it. There was a raised round platform in the center of the room that seemed impossibly black. If you would please step on the platform. Why? Because we need to make sure that you're all right. Your head is bruised, and we want to make sure that no other part of your body is harmed. So it's like an x-ray? Similar. McAllen stood on the platform while Ikoro walked over to a computer terminal that was partially covered by a Chinese paper wall. Suddenly, the Chinese wall slid around the circumference of the computer terminal as if guided by an invisible rail on the floor. As soon as the wall surrounded the terminal, a flash of light enveloped McAllen as if someone had just shone a powerful flashlight in her eyes. Oddly, she wasn't blinded by it, but actually felt a bit better and less groggy. McAllen spied the medical table and saw a blue scalpel. The Chinese wall remained in place, and she could hear a coral typing on a keyboard. Quickly, McAllen jumped off the platform, grabbed the scalpel and placed it in the back pocket of her jeans. Just as it slid in, the Chinese wall spun fully back to reveal a coral finishing her typing at the terminal. Well, the good news is that our scans show no evidence of a concussion. I've never seen or heard of a scanner that could work that fast. I believe there will be many things that you will learn today that will surprise you. Please, come with me, McAllen. Ikoro graciously gestured to enter the central hallway that seemed to stretch on forever. As she followed Ikoro, she suddenly realized two things that shocked her. 
Firstly, she hadn't told anyone her name. Othello, Anton, and now Ikoro had all called her by her first name, but she had never met any of them. And come to think of it, the doctors she met at Starbucks seemed to know who she was as well. Could they be connected? Second, this hallway, this endless corridor, couldn't be contained in one townhouse. The row of townhouses outside must be connected. That seemed impossible, though. These townhouses were located in Sutton Place, one of the most expensive locations in Manhattan, and several had views of the East River. There had to be 10 or 15 in the complex, but these townhouses sold for astronomical prices, 20 to 30 million dollars a piece easily. If someone went to the trouble and extraordinary expense of buying 15 townhouses in the most desirable location, why wouldn't they knock them down to create one single building? Why did it seem like 15 townhouses on the outside when they were all connected in their interior? McAllen had the sense that whomever she was meeting, this Senshun person might have the answers. Please come into Senshun's office. He's been waiting for you. Who was Senshun? But Ikoro had already closed the heavy wooden doors behind her. McAllen turned around to take in the room in which she had been placed. Never in all her travels up and down Fifth Avenue with her grandmother or anywhere in the world had she seen a room contain so much wealth. The three-story room seemed to be padded with leather in every corner. There were plush velvet chairs that McAllen felt she would lose herself in if she fell into them. Four enormous Persian rugs covered the distance between the doorway and the window overlooking the East River. Three-story walls paneled exclusively with showcase cabinetry that prominently displayed countless trophies and trinkets. A young, handsome man stood behind a thick silver desk in the shape of a half-sphere. It seemed to envelop him. But when he stood up, McAllen could see that he was quite tall, at least six foot five. Behind the man, curved windows formed a half-cylinder of glass that overlooked a lush green field that fell off into the East River. McCallum realized they must be sitting in the center of the giant sea-like structure that all of the townhouses formed. She had the distinct feeling that this room and the man standing behind the desk were its nerve center. Hello, McCallum. My name is Senshin. I'm sorry our first meeting had to take place under such regrettable circumstances. I hope you're all right. I heard the car crash was quite an impact. We didn't expect you to be hurt. What? You planned the accident? We had to protect you. From what? Getting psychoanalyzed by Dr. Gordon? No, from possibly being killed, and Amelia as well. That was not Dr. Alex Gordon that you shared coffee in a short car ride with. The real Dr. Alex Gordon will be found dead in his Gramercy office from a fast-acting nerve toxin that he thought was his medication for migraine headaches. The man you met earlier was named Whit Roberts. He's a liar and an assassin. Poisons are his specialty, but he's not beneath more deliberate methods of achieving his means. Is that why Othello kept asking me if I drank anything? Precisely. He's part of an organization that would seek to infiltrate and possibly eradicate us. And now, unfortunately, that includes you as well. What organization? Who are you? My senses you might know by now. Has Amelia ever mentioned the word Leviathan? Not until very recently. Only during her episodes where she hallucinates and hears voices. That's understandable. Leviathan has been a very well-kept secret for many, many generations. It has existed and thrived because of that secrecy, which is now being threatened by outside forces, like the one Whit Roberts is a part of. I still don't understand what's so secret about it. Well, for one, it's location. Leviathan is the name of the headquarters that houses a very special group of scientists. It was designed to be nearly unreachable. Well, then how do these scientists move in and out? For the most part, they don't. 
Leviathan is very self-sufficient. How long are the scientists stationed at Leviathan? In some cases for the entirety of their lives. Leviathan sounds like a prison. It could become one. That's exactly why we need your help. My help? Yes. I'm not sure how I can be of help. It looks like you have all the resources in the world at your disposal. And that's true, but we don't have everything. Leviathan is located in a very deep, very remote part of the ocean. It has existed there in secret for centuries. Centuries? We have been among you for almost a millennia. The inhabitants of Leviathan regard one another as family, a family which you are a part of. Why have you brought me here? You are here because we need your help. And more importantly, so does your grandmother. What do you mean? How can I help? Your grandmother has been delusional for months now. None of the doctors she has seen can find a cause or a cure, but I think I know how we can find one. Some of the citizens of Leviathan are suffering from a similar ailment. Some, in fact, are dying. A cure has been delivered to us, but we can't access it without a certain key. It's my belief that you might be the only person that can obtain this key. Why me? Because your blood is pure, and you're a female. This key is protected by a type of security system that will only recognize a very specific type of person. Only a citizen of Leviathan would have the ability. But I'm not part of Leviathan. But you are, McAllen. Everyone in my family is. I wasn't aware we were related. <sighs> McCallum, this may come as a great shock to you, but I beg you to believe the words I'm about to tell you. I am your great, great, great grandfather. That's impossible. You couldn't be more than 40 years old. That's just, it's just not possible. I know everything about you, McCallum. Your part is Portia in the seventh grade production of Julius Caesar. That Amelia sat you down by Belvedere Castle in Central Park when you were 12 years old to tell you that your parents weren't coming back from their Pacific expedition. Your admission to Wellesley and your crushing rejection from Princeton. I know about the time that you thought you might be pregnant during your sophomore year. That you order strong lattes in the winter and iced mochas in the summer. I know that you've been secretly having an affair with your research partner James Saltzer. I know of the Letterfeld grant and your groundbreaking work in telomere and genetic manipulation. I know you're looking for the answers to life extension. I can help you, McCallum, but you must trust me. We must find the key, and you must help us. How do you know all those things about me? I know because we are bonded. Bonded in a way that you might not yet understand. You should know how special you are, McCallum. Please, will you help us? I'm willing to listen to what you want me to do. We need you to conduct a search and recovery mission for us. To find and bring back the key. I'll find your key. But you have to help my grandmother before anything else. I think you're forgetting that Amelia is my far-removed granddaughter. Her well-being has always been my highest priority. Then why haven't you tried to help her sooner? We have been trying. You'll soon understand. McCallum watched Sension's face tighten in pain, as if someone had injected him with a long needle. His lips were moving when he saw McCallum staring intently at him. He turned around to face the giant glass window. McCallan looked down and saw all of the hairs upon her arms were standing up. I'm sorry, McCallan, but there's not much time, so I'll explain quickly. The key that we're looking for lies deep in the belly of a shipwreck called the Cedar Elm. It lies a few hundred miles offshore in the Gulf of Alaska. It was discovered by a treasure hunting outfit called Historical Explorations out of Anchorage. It was searching for a Spanish galleon called the Alando Cortez. They briefly thought they found it in a trench off Alta, but it turned out to be the Cedar Elm. It caused them a bit of embarrassment, but I think you'll be able to convince them to revisit their unlikely discovery. And how exactly am I supposed to do that? I can think of two ways. 
First of all, I don't believe I'm the first man to tell you how attractive you are. You've certainly grown to be your mother's daughter. Your hair is her exact shade of red. And second and more importantly, you're McAllen Orsel, Citibank customer and checking account number 5038386. I don't follow. I suggest you check your checking account shortly. You should find that your current balance has been increased by over $5 million. See the red folder on my desk? Take it. It contains all the information that you'll need for the next 10 days. Othello and Anton will pick you up at your apartment at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning to take you to Teterboro. The jet will be waiting to take you to Anchorage. But from that point on, you'll be on your own. Why don't they come with me? I don't even know what I'm looking for. Because if my suspicions are correct, there may be more than one party searching for this key. It has the potential for great power, McAllen. You must protect yourself from all others and trust no one. We are sending you on your own because I don't want to draw any more attention to the key's location. Anton and Othello are well known to far too many. As I said earlier, the Leviathan group has always thrived under secrecy. I'm not sure how I can believe any of this. How can you be hundreds of years old? How- McAllen, you must trust us. The money in the account will serve as proof for now. But if not, then for Amelia, your Nana. She needs a cure that only we can give her, but time is running out. Go now. I'll expect you back as soon as possible. Good luck, McAllen. McCallum wasn't sure how, but somehow Okoro had silently approached behind her and was now gesturing towards the door. McCallum walked back down the long central corridor. She stopped at a door that led out to the street. Othello and Anton were standing inside the doorway speaking urgently to each other. They stopped when McCallum approached and turned to her. I'm sure Central explained some of what's going on. I, I know some of it may seem a bit incredible. It's our job to look after you and ensure your safety. Sension thinks it's too much of a security risk to have us both join you in Alaska. I mean, we both feel a lot better if we could join you. Thanks. This isn't something we should be doing, but we want you to have this. It's a communication device unlike any other. It looks like a Sony Ericsson cell phone. Well, it's supposed to, but what it also does is let you speak to Othello and myself from any point on Earth. It also allows us to get a fix on your location. Thanks. <laughs> I actually needed a new cell phone. McCowan, be aware and be careful. Let me ask the two of you something. How old are you supposed to be? Old enough to know better. As McCallum walked back out onto 58th Street, her mind reeled with the events of the day. She had allegedly shared a car with a killer, been in a car crash, been whisked away to a private fortress of townhouses, and now supposedly had been given five million dollars on simple good faith. Yet, as absurd as all of this seemed, she felt something genuine when Othello and Anton gave her the cell phone. It was concern. But that didn't make sense. They hardly knew her. Well, in any case, this should be pretty easy to prove out. There's a city bank on 1st Avenue and 57th Street. Let's see if this sentient is willing to put his money where his mouth is. Enter my pin. Let's go to display balance, checking account, and... Oh. My. God. There is no way. There is no freaking way. But it was true. McAllen stared at the ATM screen that showed the balance in her checking account was $5,009,768. The outrageous sum of money in her checking account was real. The car crash she was in was real. The communicator to reach Othello and Anton was real. So that meant her mission, the key, must be real too. This fact struck McAllen like a freight train. It was all real. 
It was hard to imagine someone several hundred years old sending her across the globe on a mission to save her grandmother, but it was all real. McAllen needed help digesting this avalanche of information. There was only one person that could help her with all of this. Jimmy! Jesus, I haven't been able to call him. I've got to tell Jimmy what happened. Shoot! Provost Reiner was auditing our class this morning. Man, I really left Jimmy out to dry this time. If Reiner hasn't napalmed my fellowship by now, I'll be astonished. Rockefeller University was approximately ten blocks away. McCallum found herself running every other block. Her head was swimming. Should she just take the money and run away with Jimmy? They wouldn't need the Letterfield grant now. They could go to South Korea or to Edinburgh, where some of the most cutting-edge work was being done in stem cell and genetic research. No Reiner. No bureaucracy. They could run genetic simulations 24 hours a day. But what about Nana? What if they could, really could, cure her? McAllen sprinted up the campus hill to Founders Hall and flew up the five flights of stairs. When she arrived on the fifth floor, she found it oddly quiet. Jimmy, are you there? You're not going to believe what happened to me today. Something totally unreal. Jimmy! Jimmy, are you in there? The stupid door is locked again by accident. Can you open it? Are you there? What did Jimmy say about the door? Move the handle back and up. Oh my god. Jimmy! Jimmy Salsa was lying on one of the tables, hogtied with surgical tubing around his hands and feet. Jimmy, can you hear me? Blood was dripping Wake over up. the sides of the table into large puddles on the floor. Wake up, Jimmy! His hands were blue from the lack of circulation, and his face was pulverized and unrecognizable. He was shirtless, five hypodermic needles still embedded in his spine. No, this isn't happening. Please, Jimmy, please wake up! This isn't happening, Jimmy, please, please! McAllen ripped the hypodermic needles from his back and checked his pulse. Nothing. She tried checking his pupils, but his eyes were so swollen she couldn't get his lids back. She leaped off the table in fear when his ice-cold hands brushed against her arm. Quickly remembering the scalpel in her back pocket, she cut away the surgical tubings that bound him. She was now herself covered in Jimmy's blood. She held his face in her hands no, and left no, bloody no. smudge marks on his cheeks. Jimmy is dead. He was tortured. How could this happen? What was in those syringes? I have to check. Who did this to him? I'll kill whoever hurt him like this. Sension said that man Whit Roberts was an assassin. Could he have done this? But Whit said the Leviathan group was dangerous. They smashed into his car and was killed me. Then they kidnapped me and drew my blood almost immediately using a syringe. The Leviathan people could have easily done this too. But why? Why Jimmy? Callan, darling, you're so special. Oh my god. This has to do with me. Somehow I caused this. But nobody knew we were having an affair. But Senshin seemed to know a lot of things about me that I thought no one else did. This could be Leviathan's handiwork. Jesus, what in God's name am I caught in the middle of? What is going on? What happened? Oh my God, Provost Reiner, someone killed Jimmy. I found him here dead. My God, woman, what did you do to him? McAllen looked down at herself and realized she was still holding a bloody scalpel in her hand. Her hands and clothes were stained with Jimmy's blood. Nothing. Oh my God, nothing. I found him like this. I just found murderer. his You're a murderer. Murderer. Before McAllen could protest, the door to the laboratory slammed shut and McAllen heard the tumblers in the locks tighten shut. 
She was trapped, now an accused murderer. She looked at Jimmy. Her fingerprints were all over his body, as well as the hypodermic needles. She was drenched in his blood. She'd even been holding a scalpel when Provost Reiner walked in. McAllen knew there was no love lost between Reiner and herself, but how could he think she was capable of murder? And would the police believe her? They'll want to know why $5 million suddenly appeared in her account the day that her secret lover was murdered. And what would happen to Nana? If everything Senshin said was true, then Nana didn't have much time left, and McAllen might be the only one that could save her. If the police could trace the $5 million back to Senshin or Leviathan, wouldn't that jeopardize Nana's chances as well? A cold realization hit McAllen. She was alone. She could trust no one. It was up to her, and her alone, to solve this mystery, and fight this war that she had now unwittingly been made a part of. And just as certainly, she knew that the ultimate answers lay within Leviathan. Not Sutton Manor, its townhouse headquarters, but within Leviathan, deep under the ocean, hidden from all view. That's where her destiny was. You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. This is brought to you by Ranchers Insurance. Here at the University of Ranchers, it's our job to help you understand your insurance and to help you find the gaps in your coverage. For example, you may think you're covered for this... Welcome to your new home! Oh! When you're actually only covered for this. Welcome to your new hovel. Oh. Or you may think you're covered for this. I'm going upstairs to my room! When you're really only covered for this. I'm going upstairs to my room! Talk to ranchers and see what gaps could be hiding in your insurance. We are ranchers.